two Sundays ago, we talked about、uh, money, and not just out of our own knowledge, but out of God's word.、Uh, we said that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10,、uh, Timothy seems to be intentionally talking about money. And the, the kind of focal point of that text was those who desire to be rich. We said that money itself is not evil. We also said that being wealthy is not sinful. However, it is important how we approach money. We must be careful not to fall in love with money. Money is a great resource, but it's not a great partner. And so don't fall in love with money. Why? Because money does not last, money can be a trap in our life. And money can ultimately destroy us, lead us astray. And so it's not wrong to have money, but it is wrong for money to have you. It's okay to use money as a tool, but it is a wrong thing to have money as your master. God, He doesn't care a lot about how much money you have. The amount of money is not what He's concerned about, but He is concerned about the attitude that you have towards money, the approach you have towards money. So, as Christians, Jesus is our ultimate treasure. So, whether we are rich or poor, whether we are in prosperity or poverty, we have this godly contentment that we know that nothing is going to shake us because what we have in Jesus Christ is eternal. So, those were some of the things that we talked about in the previous、uh, passage. And today, we come to an interesting section where now Paul he changes his focus not onto the people who want to become rich. But those who are already rich. It says in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age. So he's talking to those who are rich right now. So in the church of Ephesus, obviously there were people who were rich.、Uh, this makes sense because we know that Ephesus was one of the wealthiest cities in the ancient world. We also know earlier in, in, the, in the letter that Paul mentions to, to, to people hey, don't dress up with gold and, and pearls and with. Expensive clothes, but rather clothe yourself with dignity, with, with modesty. Don't show off your wealth and be a hindrance to other people. No, like clothe yourself with godliness and dignity. We also know that Paul addresses the issue between masters and slaves. Why? Because within the church, there were some wealthy people who had servants who were, who were hiring people to do their work. And so within this church, you have people who are relatively poor, you also have people who are relatively rich. And so, after addressing those who desire to become rich, who are, are, are wanting to be rich, Paul now changes his focus to those who are already rich. Now, what do you do if you're already rich? Do you just give up all your money, give it to charity, and, and, and start from zero? What do you do when you actually have wealth? That's, that's the question that Paul is going to answer today. And so, he's going to give us two warnings and three good financial advices. So, two warnings and three good financial advices. Warning number one if you are rich, watch out for arrogance. Watch out for arrogance. Look at verse 17. It says this As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. In other words, not to be prideful. The NIV translation says, not to be arrogant. And so, what the Bible is telling us is this if you have a lot of wealth, there is this temptation to become prideful, that you want to consider yourself above other people. And this makes sense in this world because the world tells us that if you have a lot of financial resources, that equals success. If you are wealthy, you made it. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of character you have, what kind of reputation you have, what kind of stuff you've done to get to that position of wealth. 
But as long as you are there, that you've been successful. That, that's, what, that's what people would say. If you have money, you can go to places where, where other people cannot go. If, with money, you can eat things that other people cannot eat. You can enjoy stuff that other people cannot enjoy. In other words, you are kind of selected. You are privileged. Money makes you a first-class citizen in our society. If you have money, you're not just a customer. You're a VIP customer. If you have money, you're not just a member at the bank. You're an executive member at the bank. You know, wealth can, can easily create this, this illusion that, that we made it at the very end. But the danger of money is, is this. We, we think that just because we're successful in one area of our lives, we feel like we're successful in every other area of our lives. Like we feel like if we just have money, everything else doesn't really matter. If you think about it, you have people who are incredibly wealthy. And because of their wealth, what happens is they become incredibly prideful, arrogant. They believe that they're better than others. They believe that they're superior than others. They believe that they're more important than others. So what happens? They begin to neglect their spouse. They begin to neglect their families. They begin to neglect the people that work hard for them. They begin to neglect the friends that have supported them. And so one danger, one trap that we often fall into, when, especially when we have money, is this. Just because we made it successfully in the financial field, we feel like we made it through the entire life, that we're successful. But if you look at some of the richest people, they have some of the worst problems within the family. They have marital family issues. They have family issues. They have relationship issues. Like, although they have so much, there's so much to worry about. Because just because you're successful in one area of your life does not mean you're successful in every area of your life. But money, for some reason, creates this illusion that you are successful no matter what, as long as you have money. The second illusion that it creates is this. It creates this illusion that, that you exist to be served. But if you think about it, the reason why um, airlines, they create first class, business class, and, 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 and just regular seating uh, economy is, is, is because they want to make money. It's not because they're really concerned about your well-being and they really appreciate you and because they want to treat you well because you're an important person. No, they're, they're after the money. Just think about it. You pay about two to five times more if you're flying business class. And you get some extra space. You get your own toilet, which still you share with other people. And you get your food not in a plastic container, but rather in bowls. And you go to the same destination, and you pay two to five times more. Now, I'm not saying that riding in business class is sinful. Like, if that's something that you can afford with a good conscience, that's, that's great. If you are physically, you know, hurting or you need that extra space, absolutely. You know, I think that's a good thing for you. If you want to bless someone else with that, that's, that's a great thing. But if you simply think, just because you sit behind that curtain, because you ride business class, that you're a different human being and you look down on other people, then that becomes an issue. You know, often I'll get mail from different banks or credit card companies and tell, tell me that you are no longer just a member, you're platinum. Right? You're, you're platinum. You, you, you are preferred. We would prefer you as a customer. And, and, and what they say is, therefore, we raise your limit to, uh, about like 10, 10K. 
And, and so what they're saying is this. Because you're preferred, because you're platinum, we want you to spend more money. That's what they're basically saying. So we think the world is treating us well because we are important, better, and superior than others, when reality, what we're doing is we're simply spending more money. And you, you, you start to build this tolerance in yourself that you no longer can be satisfied in the normal things in life, that your standard of living is so high that you can no longer go back to your old ways. And, and so it's kind of, you get caught in this cycle of wanting more stuff, spending more stuff. And Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So just a quick application point here. If you have money, don't mistreat, mistreat people because they don't have money. If you are paying someone for their service, that doesn't give you the right to mistreat them as a human being. The gospel says every human being is, 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 is faithfully created, beautifully created in the eyes of God. That there's value, that there's worth just by being created in the image of God. So just because you're paying for someone's tip does not mean you can mistreat that person. On the flip side, this means that you should not let people mistreat you just because they have money. Like, just because you don't have money does not mean you are a lesser human being. Does not mean you are, le- you, are, you, you, are, you are called to serve other people. No, your calling, your worth is defined in Jesus Christ. And so don't fall into the trap of money. If you are rich, watch out for arrogance. Warning number two, if you are rich, watch out for misplaced hope. Watch out for misplaced hope. It says in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now, we talked about this um, the, a couple Sundays ago, but a lot of people, the reason why they go after money is not necessarily because they're greedy. It's because they're afraid. They're, 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 they're full of fear. Uh, they, they see the future, and they think it's uncertain. And therefore, in order to have some sort of security, some sort of safety, they feel like, I need to have an, a, a good amount of, of savings. I have to have a good amount of, of assets and different things. Just in case I lose my job, just in case something happens to my health, just in case something happens in life, I need to prepare. And I'm not saying that it, it's a bad thing to prepare for these crises. I think it's a wise thing understanding that life can throw some curveballs at you, I think it's important that you understand that, that you prepare for a rainy day. Even in Proverbs 6, Solomon simply says, look at the ant who prepares all summer, works hard all summer, preparing for the winter. So I don't think saving itself is a bad thing, but if you find your security and your safety in your money alone, then you will ultimately be disappointed. Because as much as money can do many things for you, there are a lot of things that it can't do. It can't buy you relationships. It can't buy you health. It can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. There's so many things that money cannot buy. You can buy a person, but you can't buy love. There are many things that money cannot afford, and one thing is certain about money. Ultimately, it will pass away. Ultimately, it will pass away. Notice in verse 17, as for the rich in this present Age. The Bible makes it very clear. Those who have a lot of wealth are only rich in this present age. You take the currency of this world, you take it to your next life. You present it before God and you say, look at all the wealth that I have. Well, God's kingdom is going to say, well, there's a different currency here. 
Like if I take dollars and I, I go to Korea and try to spend my dollars, like no one's going to take dollars there. You have to exchange it. The problem is you can't exchange your wealth, the wealth that you built here, and take it to your next life. It's a different currency, different value. And so the only thing that is certain about the material riches of this world is that it is passing away. And therefore, we don't cling too much on money or resources. Rather, we trust in God. So that's the first financial advice that that is given in today's passage. So after talking about the problem of arrogance, after talking about the problem of misplacing trust, the first financial advice that the Word of God gives us today is trust in God. Trust in God. In God, look at verse seventeen just one more time. It says, "As for the rich in the present, this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to be set their hopes on the certainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy." So instead of placing your trust in stuff, God says, "Place your trust in the one who provides all that stuff." Instead of trusting in the stuff that was given to you. No, trust in the one who is the giver of life. God is the one who graciously gives. He is the sense of our security. He is the one that we ought to trust. And notice, if God is the one who richly provides for us, that means our money ultimately belongs to who? It belongs to God. And that means that we are no longer owners of our money, but rather we are stewards, managers of God's money. And that's a theme that runs through the New Testament. Almost, no, all the parables are talking about this idea of stewardship, how we ought to give an account of our lives to God, how we don't manage stuff by our own wisdom, our own own ways, but rather we trust that God is the ultimate owner of our stuff and he gives us this incredible ability to manage his stuff and therefore we faithfully, with a good heart, manage the things that were given to our lives, whether that's our time, whether that's our talents, whether that's our treasures, whatever it might be, we are simply stewards of God's resources. One day, all those things will be taken away. God gives, and he takes away. And so we are simply stewards for a temporal time, that we are simply managing that money for a small amount of time. And this is, by the way, one reason why at our church, especially without hesitancy, we encourage faithful giving. It's not because God needs your money. It's not because if the giving goes up, I get a bonus. That's, that's not really the case. That would be awesome if that's the case, but it's not. The reason why I'm not hesitant to also talk about money here is because I believe that I'm not talking about my own money. I'm talking about God's money. And if God's people are not faithfully giving back to God, then God's people are robbing God. And to prevent that, I think to guard our heart, to make sure that our heart is not serving money, rather we are serving God, I think faithful giving is an important practice. I personally do it to the best of my ability. And not because I feel like the more I give, the more blessings I receive. Obviously, there's an incredible blessing in simply giving and honoring God, but it's to really guard my heart. It's to understand that everything that I have in my life, I ought to give all to God. And yet, God allows me to enjoy these things. Therefore, just simply a portion, I give back to God. So faithful giving is one way that you can make sure that your heart is trusting in the Lord, not in your stuff. So trusting God Advice number one. Advice number two, be generous. Be generous. Look at verse 18. It says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, these are not three separate ideas that are being mentioned by Paul, uh, but these three different expressions are pointing to the same reality. 
the reality of generosity. What Paul is saying is, if you are a Christian, then you ought to live a life of generosity. Generosity, first of all, is doing good. The word to do good there, it's interesting because the word good, if you look in the original language, that Greek word is only used one other time in the New Testament. So only twice, here and one other time. It's used in Acts 14, 17. And this is in the context in which Paul and Barnabas, they're on their first missionary trip, and they're sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel. They're seeing people give offerings to Zeus, and they're like, what in the world are you doing? And they begin to share the gospel with people. In Acts 14, 17, this is what they say. Yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness, for he did good. God did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So when the Bible says God did good to you, he's not just talking about having good intentions for you. He's talking about practical ways. God provided for you. God gave you rain, seasons, fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart. And because God satisfies our hearts, because he is so generous and giving and gracious towards us, the Bible says we ought to do the same. Just like God did good to us, we ought to do good for others. That's kind of the the logic behind Paul's argument here. That it means that this is more than just a thought. It's it's an action that is being displayed. If God is generous to us, then we can be generous to others. But also notice that this is not just a one-time thing, but it's a lifestyle. It says, to do good is to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So not, you're not just sharing, but you're ready to share. Your attitude in life is you're always willing to give. You're trying to see where the need's at. You're trying to see if anyone is hurting, if anyone is in pain. You're trying to meet other people's needs. So you are living with the intention where you are not just trying to bless your own soul, but you are trying to bless other people. You're not just living with, with, with matters in your own hands, but you're ready to give whatever you have to other people. That's a life of generosity. And what the Bible calls us to do is not just be generous from time to time, but calls us to be generous with all our resources, whether it's our time, whether it's with our food, whether it's, if it's with our resources. Be generous towards other people. Be intentional. Now, I think I have to clarify something. To be generous towards other people does not mean you simply waste your money on other people. Because there are a lot of people who waste their money on other people simply to feel good about themselves. To simply earn the approval of others. And that's not what we're talking about. When Paul says be generous towards others, he's talking about practically meeting people's needs. Those especially who don't have the necessities in life. Who are hurting. Who are broken. Who are struggling in life. Be intentional about those things. One way you can be intentional, by the way, in this area is to intentionally budget something in your life. My family does this as well. We try to be intentional about how much we can actually give towards others as a gift. Be generous. You know, as much as I want to spend my whole paycheck on that, you know, obviously we have to make a limb. But at the same time, we want to be intentional about our giving. We don't want to be spontaneous about all those things and just be wasteful about those resources. So however the Lord leads you, be intentional and practical about your generosity. You know, I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, the more money, if you're a true Christian, the more money you have, the bigger distance there should be between what you could have in your life and how you are living your life. Who you could be and how you are living. 
because you have all, all the ability to live a luxurious life. And yet, because you're a Christian, instead of enjoying all those things simply for your self-gratification, you make a decision. I'm not saying that you have to just give up everything in your life. I'm simply saying that a good portion of your life, you give it to others because you have received this generosity from God. So advice number one, trust in God. Advice number two, be generous. Advice number three, invest in what is eternal rather than temporal. Invest in what is eternal rather than what is temporal. You know, just look at verse 19. It says this. Just in case you need some extra incentive to be generous with your wealth, it says this, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So what God invites us to do is this, hey, let go of some of your possessions so that you may withhold what is truly life so that you can Invest in what is eternal. And this is coming straight from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 to 20, where he says, Do not lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what God is saying is this. He's not talking about earning your way to salvation and purchasing your your way to heaven. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is this. True riches have nothing to do with stuff in this world. That's what he's saying. True riches, being rich in this world, has little to nothing to do with how much you have in your bank account. You become rich by investing in eternal things. What are eternal things? People. You invest in people. You share the gospel with people. You try to make a difference not just for this life, but for eternity. I think one of the biggest needs that we have in this world, although people are starving, about, uh, and people are, are out without clean water, one of the biggest needs that we have in this world is that people are not just suffering in this life, but they will suffer for eternity if they never hear the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have this beautiful cure in the gospel that we can share. And I just want to be really, really practical. Maybe... You know, one thing that you could do starting from now is save up for a mission trip, a short-term mission trip, and actually go out of the country and see how life is outside of this world. And if your excuse is, well, I don't have enough vacation time, then save up so that you can bless someone else and send someone else to have that vision. How awesome would that be? You can grab a youth, youth student and say, hey, I would love to send you on this mission trip, support you on this mission trip so that you can experience and come back with this kingdom mindset. I can't go physically because I don't have enough vacation time. I'd love for you to experience it. How awesome would that be? There are ways that we can make a difference in God's kingdom for eternity. So the warning to the rich is this. Watch out for arrogance. Watch out for misplaced hope. The advice is trusting God. Be generous. Invest in what is eternal rather than temporal. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, I ain't there yet. I ain't rich. Like, I'm more about the previous people where I want to become rich. I desire to be rich. I often fall in love with wealth. But I definitely don't have enough to be generous, to give faithfully, to do things for eternity. I'm just busy, you know, meeting the need, my own needs. And I hear you. But there's a book called When Helping Hurts. And it's written by two professors, uh, economic professors in Covenant College. And it's a great book. And this is how they open the book. They say this. The biblical, biblical teaching should cut to the heart 
of North American Christians. By any measure, we are the richest people ever to walk on planet Earth. Furthermore, at no time in history has there ever been greater economic disparity in the world than at the present. While the average American lives on more than $90 per day, so if you multiply that by times 30, it's about, you know, about uh, $2,700. Approximately 1 billion people in this world live on less than $1 per day. About 2.6 billion people, about 40% of the world's population, live on less than $2 per day. Now, you can say, well, there's inflation in America. But the reality is that we, no matter where you fall in the socioeconomical bracket here, the fact is you live in the wealthiest country. A couple of the wealthiest counties are actually in Virginia, right here. Falls Church, Fairfax. If you have clean water to drink, if you have food on your table, no matter what kind of food it is, food on the table, three meals a day, and our, we have an incredible system where if you don't, can't afford meals, like you can receive support with all those things, and yet there are people who are struggling with basic needs, and, and the book throws this question, what is happening when the world is struggling with poverty and the church is getting richer? You know, last Wednesday, uh, one of our missionaries uh, came and did a mission report on, in the Wednesday evening service on the KM side, and, and he was from in- Indonesia, and he was sharing his testimony, how things were, especially during COVID, and one thing really stood out to me. He was saying that a lot of people think missions stopped during the pandemic because you can't meet people, like, like people are not getting together, so therefore missionaries can't share the gospel. What he was saying is, no, nothing was different. And it's not because the pandemic wasn't existing. It's because people, they can't afford medicine anyways. They can't afford masks anyways. Like, for them, if they don't go out and meet people and beg, like, they can't sustain their life. What they're more scared of is not COVID-19. What they're scared of is starvation. And, And he was sharing, like, story after story on how people are coming to Christ. They, they're trying to create a, a church. And because they don't have funds, what the people decide to do is they, each person in that village take a portion of their, their fence in their homes. They bring it, and they create a church. They have no roof. It's concrete. Simply it's just some, a fence around, and they're doing worship, and they're loving it. He's sharing stories how there's no clean water to drink, yet people, they really want to get baptized by immersion. And so there's this puddle where horses and cows will go in, and it's disgusting. It's full of all these nasty stuff. And they say they would get baptized there. That They would simply say, it is better for me to be obedient to the Lord. Like, baptize me here. Like, I was a wrench anyways. What makes me new is Jesus Christ. And, and that's how they do baptism. And I'm listening to these stories, and I'm repenting in my heart. And I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. What I'm simply trying to say is this. We have to recognize that we have received in abundance, that we have incredible resources, and I'm not saying that we have to give up, simply up all those resources. I think God allows us to have these things so that we can enjoy life, but at the same time, he gives us this eternal responsibility. If we are not owners of our stuff, but rather we are stewards and managers of what God has given to us, if we really believe in the gospel, then the gospel compels us 
to live a life of generosity, compels us to live a life of giving. And it's not just individually, but as a church, one thing that we want to do is from the very beginning, this church exists for about 21 years now. Um, first thing that we said was we're going to make an effort to make at least 50% of our giving offering to go out and, and to, to spend money not on ourselves, but to, to spread it out. Why? Because we believe in this, these principles, not just individually, but as, as a church as well. And in these coming weeks, we're going to give a financial report, and we're going to share some information about how we want to move forward with a lot of our finances. But one thing that we constantly want to be intentional about is to not just use our resources for our own sake. Obviously, there are different needs within our own organization, and there are people who are hurting in, in, among us, and obviously we should take care of those people. But we can't neglect the incredible need for the gospel and for help outside of us. And that compels us to live a generous life. If we believe in a generous God who gives us salvation in a generous way, then we can live a life that is generous for him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.